Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Forest. I'm your host, Cameron Tebro. I had an entire plan to you know, break down the entirety of Sunday, which I'm still going to do. As I clicked record the first time on this episode, recording it, the world broke. Well, the sports world broke because the Florida State has decided to just schedule an emergency meeting of its board of trustees for Friday morning. So tomorrow morning, if you're listening to this on Thursday, um, today, if you're listening to this on Friday, I expect the board of trustees for FSU to approve a legal filing, um, which is essentially they're going to start the process of trying to take the ACC to court in order to fight the grant of rights. I tweeted that you know, I didn't really have the I really have I don't really have the air to constantly refresh about constant about conference realignment. <laughs> so I think it's just bullshit. I think realignment is, and it's at its core is just kind of bullshit. I think it's I think it's that how it is now because I don't think it was about TV dollars when it was happening, you know, in the fifties and sixties and as realignment is something that's always happened. I had a good art good episode with Matt Brown that I'll probably re up back um after this. Now it's it's about TV, and it's the process of I am so tired of television executives, people in suits telling me what I need to care about. I am so tired of it. I I'm in, I'm exhausted. I'm just exhausted of it. And it's not well. No, you're at a low, you're at a small broken. No, I'm I'm tired of it in every single way. I'm tired of it with with basketball. I'm tired. I I hate the net and I hate the selection committee. I, I hate it. I'll just play out say it. I have to sit here and people have to sit here and worry about in November and December that you played roulette correctly and you scheduled, you know, a team that was going to be specifically on the rise, but you you scheduled the wrong P6 teams and, you know, sorry, you didn't, and you didn't beat them by, by, by bad enough. Sorry. They were good when you played them. Now they, you know, sputtered out. That's on you. Sorry, you're not getting in the tournament. I think that entire process is dumb. I think that entire process is just insanely dumb. But because the suits have said, this is what's important. You have to now care about this in November. I'm not saying don't care about the games, but you now need to care about your standing in this dumb metric that we won't even release the formula for. It's ours. It's a big secret. I think that's, I'm, I don't need television executives telling me how I need to care about this. Because they do the same exact thing that the CFP did, does and did for the last three years, which is tell you one thing matters. And then when it comes time for each week to week, month to month, the logic's never consistent. Why? I don't know. You know why? It's a television show. Everything's made up. The points aren't real. It's dumb. I hate it. It's dumb. It's dumb. I would like to enjoy sports. I would not like to care about Oh no, man! Their TV deals only thirty billion dollars over the course of two more years. Do people know how much billions of dollars are? It's dumb. I'm tired of football TV execs telling me what I care about isn't isn't real. I'm tired of TV execs sitting here telling me that the student athlete experience isn't real. The fact that I now that that now. I grew up as a tennis kid. Like I am, a, that my my background is in football and tennis. Tennis is like my, my first love. 
I now have kids that are going to have to be going across the country to play conference games in in tennis. Their their travel was already hellish enough. Now, you know, you got Stanford going to go all the way out to Miami. Really? Really? Or go, you know, all the way to, to let's say, Dallas. They end up doing the plan where they have a Metroplex where everyone comes in. That's insane, man. That's insane. Because a lot of these kids aren't going to the next level, whether it's tennis, whether it's field hockey, whether it's baseball. A lot of these guys aren't going, these people aren't going to the next level. And they don't need to sit here and be treated like they're, you know, Deloitte consultants being shipped out to the middle of nowhere for a job site. No, they're student athletes. Let them like have some sense of peace. They can get their degree and move on with their lives. It's just, it's dumb. It's so incredibly dumb. And that's just where we are as a country. And it's just, I hate it. We, it, we, have, we are letting TV executives basically dictate this is what we have to care about. That we saw it with Florida State even. They told Florida State, essentially, you going undefeated didn't matter, which is just bananas. And, I mean, they were doing it to the, to the group of five for a couple of years, too. They were telling the group of five, hey, man, you went undefeated. We're, didn't, weren't in the right conference. And now they're, they told it to Florida State. And, you know, told Florida State you were in the right conference. Your quarterback got hurt even though we've never seen a backup quarterback win a title in college football. We've never seen that ever in the history of the CFP, not even the, not even the college football in the history of the CFP. We've never quote unquote seen a backup quarterback win a title. It's bullshit. It's, it's, it is what it is, is what college sports is right now. It's just bullshit. And I'm sick of it. And I am, it's one of the things that makes me not want to be covering the sport, whether it's football or basketball, because I'm, I'm just sick and tired of TV executive telling me what I need to care about. And you need to do this for, for all the clicks. And you do, like, that's, that's just not who I am as a person. I don't care about the clicks. I don't care about, well, this is the best for TV. That's not who, that's not who I'll ever be. I care about games being good. I care about these kids, these guys having fun and playing their asses off. These, these girls as well, if they're, they're if whatever the sport is. I care about the games being good, the fans being happy. I I do not give two flying, you know what's about the TV contract isn't big enough for like I I don't care about that man. I I want I want people to be able to enjoy the sport like I enjoyed it growing up and NIL NIL wasn't doing NIL was not doing that it's doing it to to a degree of you know maybe not having as much of an attachment to certain players and that argument I can definitely see the transfer portal wasn't doing that as well but that's kind of intertwined what's doing is the fact that TV executives are sitting here trying to dictate what's important and what's not important and that's beyond frustrating because then that what that does is trickle down to everyone else and say. We now need to make a ton of different decisions over what we do with the NIL and transfer portal. You know what they have to do now? I got to start playing younger guys better. Something Dave Gosson said yesterday that he very much went on record and was like, hey, you know, I need to really think about how he, how I, how I, there's still going to be a developmental program, but there's, but he still wants to make sure that, you know, they don't lose guys as much or that they, you know, the people were happy because, you know, I think that was something that got lost, maybe not so much in the last 10 to 15 years, 
before because I think it was definitely taken for granted that guys sat somewhere for two, three years and we praised them going through the struggle when you waited your turn. Some people really just weren't happy, whether not even just with playing time, but just being where they were. And but they would have to lose eligibility to go move back home or something like that. Now you have a situation where guys can kind of transfer all, you know, wherever they want. And I think that mobility is important, but it also puts a strain on coaches because, yeah, look, I have to re-recruit my team every year, every four to five months. So, but I think the thing that's that's harming TV, harming everyone right now is TV contract. TV is controlling everything. The TV executives are the ones in control of who gets in. They're the ones in control of, you know, you need to do this and this. And it's, it's, it's bullshit. I don't like it. Um, I wish the best for FSU. I mean, I, and I have a pretty solid FSU source in this saying that they would like, that they're going to try their best to, they're going to try their best to, to get out. You know, I don't think this isn't going to be a grandstanding thing of, oh no, we need to, it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when from Drew Weatherford. Ooh, a shitty quarterback. Um, I'm sorry. I, the first 10 minutes of this, I'm, I'm going to, cur- I, I can put a curse a little bit. Sorry about that. Just it, this frustrates me to no end, but no, this is going to be something where FSU is going to eventually start. They're, they're, they're starting the process to eventually trying to leave the ACC. Will it happen? I think eventually it will. I don't know if it's going to be in this process. You know, legal battles are always long and drawn out. Um, I always kind of refer back to this kind of adage of if the grant of rights was to be broken, it would be broken by now. Just because you're even more angry at, just because you're even more angry about getting left out and you're more angry about where the SEC, where the ACC is right now doesn't mean the things on paper final the, the things on paper didn't finally automatically like change because I don't think that if FSU had gotten left out if FSU hadn't gotten left out of the CFP they'd be sitting here challenging it today or tomorrow I don't I don't think that would happen so this this screams more of you know we're just going to set the wheels in motion and we're just going to go for it versus we crack the code so that's that's kind of where I stand on this the worry some part for me is not so much of Wake Forest and know their position in this I think there's a place in the sport for I don't want to say the leftovers but I think there's a place in the sport for where you know there's what about 40-ish teams there'll be about 40-ish teams in the SEC and the AC in the uh, Big Ten you know there's going to be another heavy group of, of, of teams and I think there's a place for all of them to kind of come together and be one entity relegation is something I've always been like look if you're actually going to redesign this sport make a relegation system I think I think that would be fantastic I know American sports are always hesitant on that but I think football could could use football having a relegation sort of area it would be not just fun but I think would be a very interesting thing to see the thing I worry about with you know FSU trying to do this or Clemson or UNC or Miami and something Matt Brown wrote about a couple weeks ago private equity i am definitely scared of private equity coming into college sports look at every one of your local newspapers 
oh, wait, you probably don't have them because private equity has made them gone the way of the dodo. That's what private equity does. They take an asset that's pretty decent. They run it into the ground and then they eventually sell it off once it's already lit on fire. That's that is my biggest worry about schools like an FSU <laughs> using private equity to you know try to either finance certain things or push things a certain way or getting involved in the CFP or the NC or whatever the next step of the NCAA is, but whatever is going to be over the control of football and basketball and everything else. Private equity would be an absolutely terrible event for fans and athletes. The only people that would that it would help are athletic directors, TV execs, private 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 equity. Those are three people. Those those would help. It would not help the fans, and they will certainly not help the athletes. I think we're barreling down a way where private equity is going to get their rear rear their ugly head, and I am not excited about that. But regardless. National Signing Day. The only day, according to Dave Glossop, the only day that everybody wins. And to that, I say, well, I think you should maybe look at Gainesville, and I think you should maybe look at uh, who else kind of. Oh, Colorado. Colorado did not win. So I am a. You know, I like this class a lot. I think this class even pre-flop before last season because they didn't really, they added one guy in excuse me they had, no they had two guys one in Ty Clark who was a running back and, and is a gray shirt so that that's him and Elijah Reed a wide receiver out of Virginia those two are going to be gray shirts it's just a space thing they've expressed they knew that they were going to have some some gray shirts in this class it was about four or five depending on who you asked going into it, going into you know the season, and then some departures in the secondary. And then that's that's not Malik. I think it was more of the AJ Williams and the Brendan Harris type of safeties leaving secondary. Those guys leaving open the door for, you know, a, another for a safety to have a scholarship. You know. I think I really like I really like the additions, but I think preflop before they added Ty Clark and before they added Dominic DeLuca, tight end out, he's a post grad out of the Hun School in Princeton, New Jersey. Preflop, if this if this class is what it is, I was really really excited about. It. I thought it addressed a lot of needs even before the season. I thought they really needed some depth at quarterback, and I thought Jeremy Eklinski going into the season was going to be a very very good player. I thought he was going to be someone that, you know, he reminded me of Sam Hartman. Like I, I said it when he got offered. I said it when he committed. The scouting report came back from 24-7 Sports, and it was basically Sam Hartman to a T. <laughs> the only thing kind of different about it is the hair, and not even really the hair, because Sam's hair is, can be kind of wild. The only thing really different is the delivery, but he's got, I think, a faster release than Sam. It's just a different motion. But I thought they, he had some really quality depth and really start to push people. And they didn't really need a running back, and that's why I understand Ty Clark being gray shirt because, you know, I thought there might be a running back transfer besides a Justice Ellison. I didn't really expect Justice, but I thought it was more, I thought there was a good chance 
Justice Ellison was not going to be on this team next year. It just, you know, you want you're you're there for so many years, it happens. But you know, I thought maybe he comes back, but you know, there had there needed to be some attrition in the room. There was too many bodies there. And you know, end up being justice. And you know, maybe some other people decide to pop out in the portal after you know finals and everything. We'll see. But you know, I, I like the I like the light the late take in Ty Clark, and I think he'll be solid later on. I am ecstatic about this wide receiver group. Ooh, buddy. Uh, I'm going to start with the gray shirt, Elijah Reed, just because, you know, I want to just make sure he's uh, he's there. I know he's there, but I think he's going to be a very, very good guy. He plays, plays at a school that's just been beating the hell out of people in Virginia. Um, his stats kind of went down this year, and that's because two receivers popped up at his school. One of them just committed to Clemson a couple weeks ago, and the other one wakes after. I mean, Overton's really, really good, but I think Reed's solid. Ben Gray, super athletic. I really wanted to see what happened if his quarterback didn't stink. Uh, his quarterback is not great. Um, probably a nice guy. Uh, I think he got subpar quarterback play this year. But when he did get the opportunity to, you know, catch the ball, it was it was he was money. I thought I thought he played some really good ball. He's a really hyper athletic guy. Formerly a, a lacrosse, well, committed to Delaware for the cross. I wish I had. I wish there were testing numbers on him. There aren't, but alas, it is it is what it is. But I think he's going to be someone that I check back, I check back in a couple of years. I'm like, all right, cool. And I mean, this was one that they had to fight. Like I, like Colorado did not go away here. Stanford did not go away here. Like the, like this, and this guy had offers from Memphis and Michigan and Louisville and Western Missouri and Texas A and M. This dude had had a ton of offers. And a bunch of those guys did not go away, but. He was locked in the crown jewel of the class, which is really weird because I think a lot of the attention is on Heklinski. Jeremiah Melvin, 6'5", 185 at a Cape Fear. Dude, I mean, did you run a laser 4540? At 6'5", you're running a verified 45 and you're able to get faster. Ooh, buddy. I, the worry about him is, is the level of competition. Uh, he, again, kind of suffers for some, for some bad some bad quarterback play, but the level of competition is what scares me more than anything else. Just because I know he was playing with some not uh, top of the top teams. You know, I don't think, think there's exactly world beaters out there in Wilmington. Well, Cape, well, I can't say Wilmington. It's Fayetteville. So Cape fear, but I don't think there's necessarily like the best of the best, but I mean, there are people like this that can just be head and shoulders above everyone else. He was evaluated on 10, 12, and got a four, four for seventh round projection in the NFL draft because I mean he's a he's a big boy. Like Jeremiah Mova is a large, large, large man. Like he is all of that six five. <laughs> the athleticism stands out because he's he's a solid basketball player. And I think it's it's not a Jamal replacement because I think he needs a year or two before he does that. But in terms of what you're getting out of him, a big body receiver, and I think he's faster than Jamal. That's hyper athletic. Plays basketball, you know, long strider. That's that's a mold of wide receiver I really enjoy. It just stop throwing nothing but pi balls, please stop doing that. But I, I I like his game. I think he's able to get stronger. I would love, love to see what he does this spring in terms of getting stronger, getting a little bit faster. And I think the route running needs to get cleaned up a little bit because, and I think that's a lot of, about a lot of wide receivers minus you know Jeremiah Smith from going to Ohio State. 
route running just isn't really a thing in high school. I think Deuce, I think that's the reason Deuce is kind of as good as he is right now and will be, I think Deuce will be really good next year because his dad basically just does nothing but teach people routes. When you're in high school, routes aren't really a full-on thing if you're that high level of a receiver because you're just that much athletically gifted, more athletically gifted than everyone else. And so that's kind of my, not a worry about Melvin, but something I know I think he needs to clean up. I thought tight ends are fine. Um, I'm not like over the moon, but I think that they're guys that can help. I think they're guys that can help. Tight ends in this offense are just kind of weirdly used because the wide receivers have been so good. So it's hard for me to be like, yeah, these guys are going to be like, do this and this and this. Luca's more, Luca is definitely more of a blocking kind of tight end. He, you know, he's like six, seven. You know, you think of like a staunch receiver there. He's got some receiver to him. I want to see if the hands are continued. They, he was not great with the hands over the summer, but was a lot better with them over on in the fall. Does that continue? Uh, but the, he has some great size to him. He's a very willing and able blocker. Scott, he's, I, I think that's, I think that was a solid take. I think Dom DeLuca is someone that can help you in year two. Um, he's he's a post grad, six six two fifty. He's already got really the build you kind of want out of a college guy. So you see, like, hey, can you adjust and handle the college game a lot faster than everyone else? Especially if you're retooling the tight end room, I think that needs to. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on the tight ends to really perform, you know. And I think taking two was the right decision in this, and I I'm fine with those two takes. Offensive line thought was a pretty solid haul. Uh, Jack Hines is your pro. I, this is not a good class for offensive line, especially tackle, by the way. This is nationally, this is kind of regarded as just not a good class for taking offensive linemen. It, like, you could get away a lot of the, the interior guys, and I think that Wake Forest had their pick of interior guys, and I thought they really did a good job with Quinn, Rich, Quinn Richards, who I know Florida State was trying their damnedest to get him to visit. And I know Mississippi state was trying to get his, their damnedest to get him to visit, shut them both down. And, you know, it is a, I thought, I think Clint Richard, he played for, he played for a very, very high level team. You know, he's got, he's already got some good weight on him too. And but you obviously want him to keep developing a little shorter on the arms that I'd like, but, you know, I think he's someone that's going to, that, plays like a Nick Sharp and say, hey, you know, we could possibly have this guy play sooner versus later. Look at uh, Jack Hines. Again, it wasn't the best class for, for offensive tackles, but I think Jack Hines is a solid take. You know, he's, a, again, already a big boy. Like, he is a he is a big boy. Uh, talking to someone who watched a couple of his games up there at uh, Old Aiden Farms. Also, have you looked at the tuition for that school? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Ow. Um I, I looked at Jack Hines and you know he's I really like what I see out of him. He's got the footwork down. He's really he's his leverage usage is just pretty solid. I enjoy what I see out of Jack Hines. I think he needs to like every like every offensive lineman, he needs to have some sort of just refinement to his game. But I, I think he has definitely increased his agility from where he was the year before. He's definitely gotten a little bit more bendy. Um, but I love the thing I think I love about him more is just the fact that how quickly he's off the snap. He off the ball, he is he is into that defender. 
So lateral movement, meh, but I think he's very agile. I think the way he gets off the ball is really good. And that's something that was a problem this past year. And I think Jack Hines is someone that can really be molded into being a really, really good tackle. I love this defensive. I I, I like a, a lot about the offensive side of the ball. I love the defensive side of here. I love it. I think it's great. Cam Hardy played for a bad school. Just, just played for a bad school. He's got NFL pedigrees. Kevin Hardy's kid. Solid, solidly built guy. Gonna need to put on some weight. Just, just to be honest, like he's he's solidly built in terms of he has the frame to do it. But he's gonna have to pull. He's gonna go to cookout probably twice twice a day, and I think he'll be fine. But linemen, you always kind of want them to be in the hyperbolic time time chamber for for a year or two just to get some weight on him. But he's he's a nasty edge rusher. He is nasty. They've also got Amir Glenn, who you know I don't want to say I don't want to think he can play in the first year because but I mean he he played he was up he ate up double teams all year for a very good program. And he's got some solid weight on him, but I, it's hard for me with those kind of guys to tell if it's good weight or bad weight. I always lean towards bad weight if I haven't seen them in person just from what I've seen in videos and what I've seen in clips. I always lean towards a little bit of bad weight, but that's a solid reason of why you get people in early. And, you know, the early enrollees, if you haven't seen them, Heklinski, Melvin, DeLuca, Hines, Alvita Flyman, Clinton Richard, Camden Hardy, D. Josh Harrison, D.T. Amir Glenn, linebacker Darius Jones, Nickel Tayshawn Bernie, corner Sam Neely, corner Devin Cook, and safety Miles Turpin. They've got a ton of kids coming in early. So I don't think it would be surprising to see some guys on the two deep just because, hey, new blood. Josh Harrison, he's someone that I think is going to need – I'm going to have some awards to give out at the end of this, but he's someone that checked back in probably three to four years, and he's he needs some refinement to his game, but he's only been playing for a couple of years. So that's something that I'm like, okay, like let's – I can I see what you got – what you guys have got here. He's got the athleticism here. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. And then Kendall Howard, I'm not really sure why – He's the lower rated guy, lowest rated guy out of all these guys. Maybe the people think he's maxed out. Howard's someone that's a kind of a strong side for strong side in a in a four down sort of room. Could play defensive tackle in a three down alignment. That's why NC State kept trying to get after him even after he committed. I see everything NC State. I see everything. But then that's kind of I think how he's going to be used at. Wake Forest is going to be a strong side defensive end like a Sheen Davis, where you know he's really going to be your bull rush, your strong guy. Like and I don't mean that because it's not strong side because he's strong, but it's just the, where the tight end is is lined up. But I think he's going to be a guy that loves your bull rushes, love using his power to really force that tackle back, but then also at times be a defensive tackle and be hey. You know, these centers and these guards aren't used to this really athletic guy in front of them. They're used to these 300 and 310 pound guys coming right at them. Now, all of a sudden, you've got this 270 ish guy stunning around. Causes a lot of problems. And I think that's what Kendall Howard is kind of going to be built to do. You know, 6'3", 255 right now. I think if you can get up to 260, 265, I think that'd be solid. 
these linebackers Glenn Spence, I love for someone that I have never personally spoken to, I love Glenn Spencer and what he does. This group is this group is good. I started with Darius Jones, went to St. Francis Academy, powerhouse that had a pretty, pretty not good year. He's about six one, six two. I'd say probably six one and a half right now. Uh, two oh five. He really bulked up. So he was someone that everyone kind of felt like they that he had maybe maxed out, which is why he got some early offers from like BC and Georgia Tech and Ole Miss and Texas A&M and Colorado. But he really put on some some good weight. He put on some really really good weight this this off season. And then came out, and I thought he played very well for that team that really just did not play well at all this year. He's someone that I think could probably play a little little hybrid. He probably trends more to like a weak side linebacker that they have more in coverage than a Mike. But I think with the right amount of weight gain, he could kind of swing either way. Whitman Whaley is an insanely hyper-athletic dude. This dude is playing kind of like a wide receiver tight end kind of flex on the offensive line, off the side of the ball, plays linebacker for Gatlin, Gatlinburg Pittman. And this dude's just, he's rangy, he's long. Like, he is everything you kind of want out of, like, your line, a linebacker nowadays. Like, he's 6'2", like, 6'2", 205 with his dimensions. It's pretty, it's pretty damn easy to see what he, what he wants, what, why people wanted him. And, you know, I think Stanford came in a little, little later than they wanted to and couldn't really do anything much whipping him. He was a, he was pretty solid. I wish the best to Whitman Whaley. If you didn't know, I lost his father last week, which is, I mean, just an insanely hard thing to do. Not even just before signing day, but just in general, but I mean, losing your dad, you know, a week before, a week before probably one of your biggest days of your life is is tough and you know my condolences are out to him his family it's just 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 tough to deal with that that's tough and i don't i don't wish that on anybody like i don't but i think whitman is a very 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 good addition to this this league than this this team he is a he is a he is the athleticism you need in that linebacker room. And last but not least, you got Andrew Hines in the linebacker room. Mr. Mr. Steady. Steady Eddie. He's someone that I definitely think kind of maxed out in terms of like, I don't know if he's going to be, you know, I don't think I don't know if he turns into this all-world sort of guy, but he's someone that you look at and you go, hey man, this dude's already, you know, being a the starter or basically that in in year two probably shouldn't be surprised about about it with Andrew Hines because he's someone that is just he's versatile like he definitely can do he can do a lot he can play in the box play outside the box his tackling is just insane in space like he there are so many times that he's just like in the right place at the right time and I don't understand how he has those instincts but when he's there, he may, he does not miss the tackle. He doesn't, and I think that's good. He's not gonna he's not gonna become longer. His arms his arms aren't gonna magically become longer. He's not gonna become a four four dude at linebacker. But he, I think he's going to be a solid, solid, solid college linebacker. And those things those guys are way more valuable than people 
who like to admit the DBs, I think it's a healthy group. Jacob Cosby Mosley is kind of that same frame of like a same time frame of a Andrew Hines where you go. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't necessarily know if this guy is going to profile like the best for the NFL draft, but in terms of like production, the field, this dude's got everything from it. He can play, he can kind of play corner. He can, he's going to be more of a safety. If you, if you needed him, you could play nickel. I don't really, I don't know if I really want that, but like he's versatile and I think he's able to do a ton of things and he had a very successful high school career. Tayshawn Bernie. Oh, I love me. I love me a Carol day school guy. He's a mighty might kind of, kind of kid. He's someone that is, you know, five, five something, five, nine, maybe some five, 10, you know, nothing wrong with that. But I, the scouts who have seen him and it's not just white people, but the scouts that have seen him down in Tampa, which has a ton of talent said, he's one of, if not the best cover corner in, in Florida, <laughs> he's, if he was two inches taller, bam on everyone would be after him. And, you know, uh, the USC out West didn't necessarily stop recruiting him. Neither did Duke or neither did Miss Tennessee. But, you know, Wake did well with them and said, hey, no, you are going to cut. I think he's going to come in and be someone that's fighting for a spot immediately, especially because he's an early enrollee. But if you can come in here and play nickel off the rip, I'm all for it, man. I am all for it. Maybe you can return some kicks too, but if you can sit here and play a premium position out the gate, and I'm so wait on it. Then you got two two corners in Devin Cook and Sam Neely. Shout out Weddington. Shout out Andy Capone at Weddington. Neely's state champion. Oh, and I don't, I'm not going to forget about Miles Turpin. Don't don't you forget about that. State champion for Sam Neely. You can tell what they want with these kind of guys. You know, Neely's six foot. I think Cook's about five eleven now. The thing about them is they're long. They are long athletic corners that can run and that can tackle. And and you're playing when you're playing a style of football that they play a lot of cover three. And when you're playing cover three, you're not pressing as much, not not on the line as much. You're coming down, you're instinctive. You need the athleticism, you have the speed to kind of drill down on the ball and drill down on the on the receiver. You need we know what helps besides just having speed and athleticism. Being having long arms and being able to say, Hey, I'm going to tackle and go there. And that's why I think some guys in the that Chip West didn't necessarily recruit have had issues getting on the field because you know, I think there's a different type of corner that Chip West preferred for this type of defense versus Paul Williams. And we've started seeing it's these longer, longer, longer corners that they're they're fine and press. I've seen I'm seeing some of Neely and Neely's look solid and press. I haven't seen a lot of Cook playing press coverage. She's just been kind of the best athlete on the field for Western Branch. But the thing that sticks out to them is like how athletic and just how like when they make a tackle, that play is done. That play is absolutely done. There's no no notes. We're out. So I those guys are going to be asked to come in early, and you know maybe they they mess around and play early. You lose Kalen. Sean Jones dealing with an injury. Samari's coming back from his from his ACL injury. You know, it's a young room. Antonio Robinson missed basically all year with injury. Hey, 
it's a place that a freshman can come in and play and, and no one should be shocked. You know, while you want some experience there, hey, Kayla came out from the came Kayla was one of the lowest rated recruits in that in that recruiting class. Came out freshman year starting, never looked back. Last but not least, Miles Turpin. Turpin might be my favorite person in like this class. If he was it if he was an inch, an inch taller, every P five would be knocking down the door, not just West Virginia. Who was who was very much trying to get him to to come on over, but did a good job there. He is so athletic. It, it he every time I I, I look at him, I, it's, he's just doing something that I'm just like, how did you do that? First team all met, very well deserved. He's a, he is automatically one of the more athletic people on this team. I am I am so in on Miles Serpent. I am so in. I don't, I don't, and people know I don't really get attached to freshmen, football or basketball. I don't really get attached to freshmen, but hey, the last time, so I'm going to move on to this exercise that I did, did it in writing form last time and do it in voice form. The last time I've gotten really attached to some recruits were, and let's go from last year. Last year, I was really high on the safeties and Rashawn Tung and Devon Patterson. Two guys that actually burned the red. Well, one guy burned the red shirt. Tongue did. I thought Aiden Hall would outplay his recruitment, and he's already going to be a you know he had a he had the Duke game, which was you know freshman happens, but he really was able to absorb some snaps. I loved Hilton. I love Deuce. Deuce, watch out for Deuce. And obviously, I love Micah Mays, and I think you know we're going to be a year or two away from from some good Micah Mays. So there are four categories that I'm going to break this into. We've got category one, which is immediate impact. Category two, which is check back in two years. Category three, check back in four years. Fresh, most frustrating battle to lose. Highest upside, outplay the recruitment, scout player of the year. And then biggest recruiting battle one. That's always a fun one for me. So immediate impact, I am probably going to go with Sam Neely. I think if anywhere, it's going to be in the secondary just because of how the team is really constructed right now. You know, I think Jeremy Kleklinski has an opportunity to be the immediate impact guy, but I, I think the plan and really what I would like him to do as well is, you know, show flashes, but I need you to gain some weight. He, you know, I interviewed him yesterday well, two days ago for yesterday. If you haven't read it, he mentions it himself. He knows he needs to get bigger and stronger. He he knows that. You know, he he knows he needs to be able to get bigger, be able to take hits. I don't always like picking the top recruit, and especially when it's a wide receiver, just because I think this wide receiver is just so crowded right now. And I think it just takes a little bit for those for those guys to to get in. They're they're when there's an opportunity, sure, but and if he goes out here and blows everyone away, great. But I mean, beat beat out the beat out the, the highly talented wide receiver in Micah Mays first, who's who's still waiting his turn. And you know, Micah had some has some suitors try to try to tamper, and we're we easily avoided that pretty pretty easily. So linebacker was always a weird. I'm also I'm never going offensive line or defensive line, but for this, just never. Just they need they need time. Linebacker was an interesting one for me. 
But I just think with so many guys, when they got a transfer linebacker, they have, you know, Dylan Hazen and Quincy Bryant and Aiden Hall all coming back and Draco Robinson should be back after he popped his Achilles. They just have so many bodies in there. I think, you know, if someone stands out, that's great. But I don't, and they're going to be pushed, obviously. But I think it's an okay if someone doesn't necessarily stand out year one. And by stand, I mean stand out enough to be like on the 2D playing some real snaps. Tight end, eh. I just, I just, I, I'm, I'm a wait and see kind of guy with there as well. So it comes down to the secondary for me. And I think that you, if you made an argument for any one of these guys, Miles Turpin, I think the safety, the starting safeties might be a little more entrenched though, because I think you have a, now you have Nick Anderson and Evan Slocum more in their sort of natural position. I think that's going to be really solid. I think they're going to maybe try to put Evan in the slot a little bit, but I think for the most part, he's going to be back to his normal safety position. I think that's really going to help him. And then you've got Devon Patterson, Rashawn Tung, guys that really took a step and were pushing for playing time last year, but were behind, you know, Malik and you know other guys. It's their time to shine. And I think that those guys are now going to be there. So I, I, I find a little bit hard for Miles Turpin, even though I think he's going to be, he, he might fall into somewhere else. And Jake Cosby mostly, you know, he's not coming in until the, until the summer hard there. So it's the three corners, you know, and I kind of whittled it down to Tayshawn and Neely. I think Neely has the better pedigree in terms of, I, I want to see how the mighty might in Tayshawn adjust to college football. It's a, it's an insanely, insanely, insanely hard position. So I'm going to go with Neely just because I, I, I love Neely's build. I, I, I've everything I've heard about him is that he's right in the in the head in terms of that. And I say that because a lot of times people think when freshmen come to college, the biggest gap between them and playing is physical. It's they need to get bigger, stronger, faster. That's a gap, but it's usually not the biggest gap. It's mental. What happens when you're not the best person on the team anymore? What happens when this wide receiver dunks on you five straight times? That's that breaks some people and it definitely breaks their confidence. And then you get in the games and they're or they're practicing well and they get into a game and then they just drop a ball or they just get dunked on. It's from what everything I heard that this guy takes his business so seriously and is going to adjust in that way so so well. I'm not saying the others won't, but that I think he might be a standout in that sort of quality. And so I'm gonna lean with Neely. I think Cook has a chance to do it too. I think the athleticism is there for Cook. I want to see it a little bit more refined, and now he's able to not play on both sides of the ball. Check back in two years. So this one I've split into offense and defense because I think it's that's kind of just fair. Uh, check back in two years on offense. I, I don't I don't see how there's any sort of way that you don't pick Jeremy here. I, I just I, I I have to do it. Kind of just have to do it. There's no. You're at, you're at a, you have a one year rent to a quarterback, regardless if it's Michael Kern or Hank Bachmeyer. You know, I, I think in two years, if if you look back and you say, hey, going into the going into signing day for, you know, what is this the the twenty twenty seven your your turn page twenty twenty seven, you go, hey, Jeremy Hecklinski is a really good quarterback. I don't think anyone would be shocked. Defensively, I this one's tough, but I went with Andrew Hines. I think Andrew Hines is going to be, especially because I, I, not that they're going to lose a lot, of, a lot of people, 
But I think there's just going to be more opportunity in two years at that position for him to really, really stand out. And I, I think that'll be solid. Sure, back and forward, usually my like high developmental sort of guys on offense, probably Clayton Richard. I think he's a mauler. I think he's an absolutely mauler of a guy. And I, I think he's someone that that there was a reason for State and Mississippi State really wanted him. And I, I, you can see it. You can see it. On defense, four years, I probably lean Kendall Howard. I, I was between Kendall Howard and Josh Harrison. I think one of the, I think one of those I think I think the edges are really good. I think they're but those both guys are kind of like developmental and there's guys in front of them that make it a little bit harder. Josh, I want to see what he turns into. Is he more of a drop in or the deacon? Does he evolve into more of a strong side guy? He feels like a tweener right now, so I want to see what he I want to see where he starts at and how he builds before I say that. Kendo, I kind of know more of what he is at this point in time. And so I'm like, okay, I can see what we're going for. And with what I know they're going after in the portal and with Jasheen having another year and, you know, they have, I think there's just enough to say, Hey, you know, you're going to be put in the chamber for a couple of years and I can check back on you in four years. Most frustrating battle to lose. I mean, every loss is a, is a frustrating battle to lose. Doing this one wasn't necessarily the easiest because I thought Wake for the most part did a really solid job on, you know, not really just pivoting, but just being like, okay, like they got it, they got they got the guys that they wanted, and no one really kind of drugged them around, which was really tough. But I, if I had to, frustrating wise, I probably would say, ugh. I mean, I don't want to go with the kicker Lucas Osada because that one's that one always just feels weird, but. But I honestly might have to go with Lucas side of the kicker just because not that I don't like the other guys that they tried to recruit, but I think there was just a staunch difference in everyone else in terms of like how these ga- how these recruitments went down. Nothing was really just. I'll go with Landon Callahan because I think Landon Callahan he went Duke. I think he's someone that is. If I looked up in a couple of years and he was an All ACC corner, I wouldn't be surprised. I really like Callahan's game. I, I really liked him. I was fine with Phil Conley, Joshua Clark, those guys kind of going elsewhere. But Atlanta Callahan was one that they, I think they liked a lot from the onset. And he went to your, he went to a rival. And well, it's all cookie, cookie crumbles. But yeah, I'll go with that. And it's just a, you got him on campus a few times. You visit, you, you went to watch his games and he ended up going cross, cross town. Well, I guess an hour and a half. So that that would be probably where I would that'd be probably where I would put that one at. Highest upside. <laughs> uh, I mean, this one's pretty easy for me. Miles Turpin on defense. I don't think there's a question. Hey, this dude, this dude is he's got the upside out of out out the ooh, my god, he's good. On offense, it's my it's Melvin. It, Six six five guy that can run a four five and it's going to get faster. Just just going to be just going to be him. Like there's that that is an NFL caliber that is an NFL caliber player. 
right there. And the upside's right there. Outplay their recruitment. I will probably... Hmm. I have some names written, and I kind of think about it, and I go, huh. I'll probably go with Amir Glenn on the defense. He was lightly recruited, and, you know, I, I kind of struggled to see why, like, in, you know, the P5 offers were Duke and Georgia Tech and Nebraska, UNC, USF, West Virginia, but a few of those schools kind of fell off. And so, I mean, Wake kind of swooped in and beat out West Virginia for him. He's someone that I'm just like, I think he could be as, I think he's a solid college player. So he has the build of a solid college guy, a little solid off, but I mean, that's Wake's had a lot of success with those kind of guys. So I don't really see what's going on there. I mean, it's between him and Chip Cosby Mosley, who I don't understand why people really backed off of him, which is really, really weird. Offensively, I don't, I think it'll essentially be. Jack Hines, I think Jack Hines has a really, really high ceiling for an offensive tackle, but he just has such a low floor, which is, and, and it's not that I think he's bad, but I think he's just a, I can see why people were kind of hesitant with him, but I, I think I like, I like a Kentucky offensive line offer. I really, I really value those. And the fact that he got one of those, me, I think he'll end up being a lot better than what his recruitment kind of was. Cause he had, a, he had a few, he had a few things and then people kind of bounced People kind of fell off and then came back in, fell off and came back in. And that one's tough, but I think it'll be Jack Hines for just for the sake of this exercise. Scout player of the year, Jacob Cosmo Mosley. Done. Like the, I, it's, it's him. He's, he's going to work his tail off. He's going to be a scout, a great scout guy. I think this first, this first year, he's going to be an, an insane scout guy. Offensively, Ben Grice, because I he's going to be the dude that you just go, all right, there's a 6-2, there's a 6-1, 6-2 guy here that we have no idea how to cover. Ben, get out there. <laughs> you you be that person. He's so insanely athletic. I think he people are going to love him when it comes to when it comes to that. Biggest recruiting battle one. I don't I'm not gonna stay on Jeremy because I think it'd be unfair for it to be Hecklinski because Jeremy just didn't answer the phone. Like he just didn't. And I, I kind of alluded to that multiple times leading up to signing day of like people being worried, which I mean, which fair to be worried about it, but yeah, he just, he just didn't. And he hates the recruiting process. He absolutely hated it. He, he found a place that trusted in him and he was someone that was like, Hey, look, man, I, I committed here. I have opportunity here. Should have offered me earlier deuces and just stopped answering the phone for people so i don't really want to call that a recruiting win because it's someone that i'm like i, I he helped he did he did all the legwork in that one mostly <laughs> the, the coaches were obviously on him 24 7 but he did a ton of the legwork i will probably stick on turpin and I feel like I give him a lot of praise, but he's someone that I know some big schools were coming in late on because he, I mean, he was just being an outright goon. Like the kid was, the kid was good. The kid was good. I mentioned West Virginia was that come in late on him. I know that, you know, a couple of big 10, I know the Hokies came in on him because they were like, Hey, 
maybe not do that. Duke came in on him. Tennessee came in a little late. And, you know, it was one of those things that you beat out a bunch of power five schools quietly and that had much better seasons than you. Indiana came in after they had a new coach. You know, I, they, they beat off some, some solid teams, man. And there's a reason I think this, this kid proved it time and time again, that he deserved more offers because Wake was his first power five, I believe it. And then, you know, as he got the quieter offers and the quieter offers and quieter offers, you're like, man, like, are they maybe to hang on with this kid? But they did. And, you know, rest history. I'm going to close this with kind of talking about just the recruiting process in general. I asked Austin about this and I asked, I always ask, you know, recruits about this, you know, does like the, does the losing really affect, you know, how you recruit and, and your ability to recruit? The answer is it usually doesn't. I understand it's a very, like the very first thing that happened when someone has like four and eight, five and seven year, whatever is we're not going to be able to keep this recruiting class. Just look at Florida. <laughs> Florida's decommitment class would be an all-star team. It's a sales job. It's a complete sales job that you have to be really, really good at, whether you're winning, whether you're losing. And honestly, at times, I'd argue it's harder to do it when you're winning, but not winning enough because you're kind of stacked there. When you're winning and winning enough, you're not getting that next tier of players you need to get because, you know, it's like you're trying to sell. Yeah, we can get that one extra win with you. And like, that's that's a really hard sell to these kids because it's like you're not going to get the better players because you're either not putting it up for, for them or you're already full of there and they're like looking for better opportunities. To me, it's either it's the easiest times for you to recruit are when you are UGA, Alabama, whatever, and you're winning national titles or when you are coming off a bad season. It's pretty easy to see why recruiting with a national title is really good and really easy to do. But when you're coming off like, a, some, like one of your worst seasons in a while, that's one of the easiest times for you to recruit, which is why I'm not saying that they didn't do a, a great job and they had an easy job in terms of you know keeping these guys together because recruiting is hard as hell, man. But that's a that's if you're a good salesperson, that's one of the better times to sell your your program and selling. Like, look, man, we're coming off. We had seven straight bowl wins, and you know we just had one of the worst years. It sucked. We're all frustrated. You know, but you know what we're willing to do. We, we're going to give you the opportunity to come in here and compete and turn this program around. We're going to sit here. You can be the face of the turnaround. You see all those boxes and all those plaques and all, and all of everything, all the awards. That could be you because you turned this program around. You came here and got us out of a four and eight season and you led us back to an ACC, a, a division title, a conference title. You led us to a nine, 10 wins and you turned it around and it was because of you and all these guys around you. That is one of the easier sells in college football because it's just like kids are like, oh my God, my ego. I, everyone has an ego. I don't mean in the bad way. Everyone has an ego. Like, oh my God, I can come here and be the guy. I can be the dude. This is great. I'm so excited. Like I can, I have the opportunity to come in here and be the guy. Whether it's this year, whether it's next year, I can turn this program around. And people get amped up about that. It's not that you want to be a bad, you want to lose a season and do that and you know, recruit like that. But uh, unless you have, you know, two to th- probably, you know, three in a row bad seasons, that's usually where it's like, all right, man, like this is, this is tough. 
But if you're coming off a bad season or two, that's usually where people are able to be like, hey, we can turn this around. We can do this. We just need to get all the, all the bad stuff out of the system. We're bringing in new blood. It's all on you. So it's not going to change how people feel when the team's losing the game. And they're like, we're going to lose all the recruiting, all the recruits. But that's just kind of some behind the scenes of like how that sort of process goes. And when I talk to these kids throughout the throughout the season, throughout a lot of losses, the message was consistent from you know what the, the coaches were telling them and honestly how they felt regardless of that. Because I think those are two different things sometimes. It was, hey, they felt like we could come in here and be the people that turn this place around. We're so excited about that. And you know, they don't you're not excited about losing, but we're excited to say, I'm ready to get in here and work. That's why they've got 13 out of 19 signees out here just coming in early and being able to look, I am ready to work. And the only reason it wouldn't be more is because a lot of these kids go to like private schools. So thank y'all for listening so much. And as always, good eeks.